welcome back to the Some Sort of Miracle podcast. I'm Ed, and I'm joined today by Claire. Hiya. By Emily. Hello. And by Paul. Hello. And today we are talking about the topic of generations. So I've just got back from a um, youth worker conference this weekend, and it was one of the big topics they were discussing about. uh, I went to a seminar, and it was titled, Everything You Know About Gen Z Is Wrong. And then as soon as we got in, they said, uh, actually, no, it isn't wrong. You know, you know a fair amount about them already, <laughs> which we all had a good chuckle about. Um, but actually, then they started this conversation about generations and they started discussing some of the differences and actually how the church responds to um, the fact that, you know, we are different as generations. Um, but actually, there's a lot that ties us together as well. So I thought maybe it'd be cool if we could just share some of the um big stereotypes of the different generations, some of the big headlines that categorise these different uh, groups. But before I do that, I just want to quickly mention the listener group. Um, If you are listening to this podcast and think, oh yeah, I'd really love to share my thoughts, I'd really love to ask a question, I'd really love to share my experiences, we would really love to hear that. Um, So if you want to do that, go to Facebook and search SSOM Listener Group. And you should find it just there. And we'd love to carry on the conversation with you in that space. But yes, let's get straight to the generations. Paul, would you be all right to explain the first one for us? Yeah, so the first one is the maturists. So we're going from um, pre-1945 up to 1945, which is quite a big time frame. Yeah. But I I think it's probably going to be sort of... The people who are still alive up to 1940. Yes, we're talking living generations, not from the beginning of time. Because um, that would be a real sweeping statement. It was a it? big generation. They did a lot. They are mature, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're thinking people who are alive essentially before the Second World War. Yeah, so when we've been talking about this before, we've been looking at um, a graph that's been put together from uh, research. And um, there's a little bit of information on this. I'm just going to read a little bit of that out. So... Um, the formative experiences of this generation are, like I say, the Second World War, rock and roll, nuclear families. Um, signature product is given as the automobile, so it's the real boom of the car industry and that's that sort of travel and things like that. Um, and generally, um, you know, aspiring to own a home is the big, the big push for that generation. Uh, the next generation is uh, baby boomers. Okay, so baby baby boomers um, are from 1945 to 1960, and some of their formative experiences include the Cold War, um, post-war boom, um, the swinging 60s, youth culture. They are a family-oriented um, generation and um, the rise of the teenager. So I suppose that's kind of teenage empowerment, the age of like rebellion um, and things like that. Um, they aspire to job security um, and they their primary kind of way of communicating with each other um, would have been through telephone and their preferences in communicating would be face-to-face, ideally, but telephone or email if required. Um, their signature product for that generation would have been the television um, and that is probably about all to say about the baby boomers. Yep. Over to you, Claire. So next we have Generation X, which is people currently in their 40s and 50s. And their formative experiences include the end of the Cold War, the fall of the Berlin Wall, Thatcherism, Live Aid and the introduction of the first PC. And their signature product is uh, a PC. 
their aspiration was getting that work-life balance and thinking about in terms of uh, attitude towards technology, talking about digital immigrants who are people willing to kind of get on board with the uh, digital and technology and see what that looks like. The uh, communication preference is text messaging or email. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Next up is Gen Y, which is sometimes referred to as millennials, uh, the ones that are addicted to avocados. Um, and um, I don't know if you've heard that. There was a lot of talk once about millennials can't buy homes because they're spending too much on avocados. Um, <laughs> that's a nonsense. Um, but yeah, some of their formative experiences are the 9-11 terrorist attacks, PlayStation, social media, the invasion of Iraq, and uh, Google Earth is listed on this, which I think is an interesting addition. Uh, I don't know if that was a major point in your life, Google Earth, but... Um, yeah. I used to love looking on like Street View and seeing your house. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe there's some truth in it. Um, yeah, so um, millennials... Aspiration, according to this uh, graph, are, is freedom and flexibility. They are digital natives. Um, their signature product is the tablet and smartphone, and they prefer to communicate via social media or text um, or online and mobile, those, those sort of uh, methods. And the last one is uh, Generation Z, or Gen Z. Um, their formative uh, experiences are global warming, um, they were born um, really with technology integrated, so mobile devices is what they've grown up with, um, cloud, uh, WikiLeaks, and they were born after 1995 as a, a rough guide, but I think we'll probably talk about the the defined time frames yeah. in, in the podcast a little bit more. Yeah, um, yeah so really Gen Z are the people who prefer... FaceTime stereotypically, um, handheld communication, um, email is probably a little bit outdated for them, to put that into context. Yeah. I remember, just to put that into context, I remember emailing a guy that I fancied when I was a teenager. Like, just thinking about, like, if a, if a teenager now emailed another student, yeah. they'd be like, what are you doing? Yeah. But um, I guess that's a primary example of the difference there between millennials and gen z i was emailing boys that i fancied yeah wow that might have just been me though right that was like, probably like, just not a cool thing to do <laughs> did it start to whom it may concern <laughs> yes oh thank goodness for matthew trotter that's all i'll say <laughs> we're going to do now is we're going to just go through those generations again and share some of the stereotypes um, that the, some of the cultural remarks that are made about each generation and we are not saying that these are true <laughs> we are not um, condoning them or, or saying that they are we're in a way condoning them but um, we're, we're, we're not saying that they're accurate we're just saying these are some of the things that get thrown around about these generations um, in society so shall we start with Gen Z on this one. Uh, what things have you heard about Gen Z? Both positive and negative, I guess. They're all going to evolve with arched backs because oh, yes. they um, are over their phones all the time. Yes, addicted to their phones, isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's the. <laughs> yeah, I find that one funny because 
you know, you could look at the Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, even baby boomers. A lot of them are addicted to their phones. That's not a, that's not something that's just a Gen Z issue. But yeah, that's definitely what gets said about them. Um, social justice and climate change. We're very passionate about that. We hear about a lot, don't we? That Gen Z are. Um, I guess that is a stereotype, even though it's a positive one. They're all woke. Yeah, I think woke culture, isn't it? Woke. Yeah. Think you get in more. terms of the reaction that Greta Thunberg gets in terms of stuff like that, that's, mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think you get, walk is almost like a positive word for, like, snowflake being the opposite, where I think a lot of people will say that they're too bothered about things. Yeah. It's interesting, I wonder whether you were to ask 100 people from each of these generations what they thought of the word woke. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Was that maybe very different perspectives across the broad, the board there? But maybe that's a whole episode in itself. But um, yeah, so Gen Z, they yeah, the tech addicts that are into their social media, their social justice, their climate change, and Greta Thunberg. Um, <laughs> Everyone just back off, Greta. Yeah, that's my message. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Don't say that about David Attenborough, do they? No, they don't. He's a maturist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. He might be the maturest maturist. He's protected, He's isn't he? definitely one of the more mature maturists. Uh, Gen Y then, the millennials. I've mentioned avocados already. You are with the best, aren't we? Obviously. Okay. <laughs> We're the best ones. What do people say about us? I haven't heard them. Have you not? Oh, the, like, we get called snowflakes a lot. Millennials are snowflakes, yeah. definitely. Um, they don't want to work hard. They're lazy, I've heard. Um, oh, I've got I've got some here, actually, in my notes. Yeah, uh, millennials are lazy, definitely. That's the big one that comes out. Um, they don't want to hold down a job. They, they want to work the hours. They, they value flexibility, I guess, which is what's in that in our graph. But that, I guess, to those that have worked the same company all their life, could look like, I don't know. Yeah, I think one of the negatives that gets thrown around is that a millennial feels like they deserve everything. Mm. Um, yeah, like a sense of entitlement. Yeah. Yeah. We're having less fun on that one, aren't we? Chris yeah. criticising ourselves. Um, well, we're the best, so it's hard. Yeah. Does anyone else feel attacked on the laziness issue? Because I'm yeah. definitely like sat here with a blanket in my pajamas already. <laughs> yeah, touched <laughs> yeah, and I'm googling the answers to these questions. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's not lazy. That's um, intelligent. As yeah. the resident googler, I can tell you that is fact. <laughs> Gen X. What? Oh, go on, Claire. Did you have something for Gen Y? Uh, no, millennials. One of the things it says is own shares in Google. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> That's where we find the wisdom from. Wisdom answers. Absolutely. Yeah. But then you talk about Gen X. One of the things it says is sarcastic, cautious, and did everything wrong. So kind of that generation, <laughs> perhaps, that it, millennials might be blaming that generation for whoever. Yeah. We're blaming that generation for everything wrong. Yeah. And then it's in a mascot. It's a Daria, but I've got no idea what that is. So. Oh, I don't know what that means. Hmm. I think it's interesting that we kind of in the, in the table we say that Gen X um, sort of created the personal computer and yet other uh, like later generations are the ones that are sort of known for technology. Mm. I don't think we would necessarily 
think about the generation before our group as the ones who created personal computers and kind of started that off. But the thing about is true. Think about my my dad. He's a he loves his technology. He loves learning about computers and um, and cameras and techie bits. So yeah, that is so true. And I think that, that that's the same as well. That's the same with sort of my <laughs> dad. And I think that that sparked an interest in technology in them. And I, and I think yeah, they can still they can still sort of really love it, can't they? And, mm cherish those things my um, me and my sister often make fun of my parents because they always talk about doing things on the big computer and <laughs> like you know they still go and do everything on the big computer because it's yeah. it's the big computer so why wouldn't you but yeah yeah how old are your parents Emily um they're in their like late 60s like mid to late 60s so I would say they're between the they would probably categorize themselves between baby boomer and gen x there's a bit of an overlap there in terms of mm. what they would probably see as their frame of reference so were they born like late late 50s mid 50s something like that yeah yeah see my, my dad is 47 so he's like right at the start of okay baby boomer yeah should we move on to baby boomers then yeah what are they like um Yeah, they're all right, aren't they? <laughs> There's not in... the same as it was in the sixties and the seventies. Oh yeah, I. it, you haven't lived. I remember back when things were good, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny though, because that's totally going to be me. Like, oh yeah, back in the day, like living in that hindsight golden era age. Absolutely, yeah. Um, there's an internet trend, isn't there, of saying "Okay, boomer" to dismiss all. <laughs> Older, um, elderly people. No, elder, not, elderly. not quite elderly. People, not quite elderly. But... Older people using technology. I think, isn't it? When That's when people it. are saying saying those sort of things, like it was better. Yes. Or you you you've broken this, or yeah. you you've ruined this for everyone else and things like that. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. Boom is like a. You, you should calm down now. Yeah. When we were planning this episode and just chatting, um, in our group chat, which is very millennial, isn't it? Um, and and Jacob, um, who you will remember from the earlier episodes of the podcast he was saying that we need to mention house prices and the fact that baby boomers could afford to buy houses with their wages um that you know they they paid what 20 30,000 for their house and now it's worth half a million in some places and there is just no way for younger generations to get onto the property market because it is n not the same and um, yeah, that, that, so we've mentioned it there, Jacob. Don't worry, we've we've ticked that box. Um, but yeah, there is truth in that, isn't there? The, the, the like, those very practical things about what you can own and um, where you live are very very different these days because you can't just afford to go out and buy a house with your with your first job. Well, a lot of people can't. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's funny though because I've had many of these arguments with my dad. And he'd be like, it's because you're spending your money on Starbucks. Like, there's that kind of perception that in terms yeah. of reality and in terms of what it looks, what, yeah, in terms yeah. of their reality and our reality and yeah. in terms of the different priorities that we have, perhaps that um, isn't that, but it's kind of picking out the truth from the stereotype sort of yes. thing. Yeah, yeah. What's the element of truth and what is the stereotype? Sure. And how much is anyone actually spending on Starbucks, guys? For, Star Starbucks know? is expensive, to be fair. Yeah, it is. 
Alright. Okay, boomer. <laughs> I do think I flip between all of these quite a lot more than I probably should. I prefer, I was saying to Ed before the podcast, I much prefer telephone to any of the other methods of communication. Oh, really? Yeah, I would just oh, ring yeah. someone. If it, Not if it's someone I don't know, but if it's someone I know, yeah, I find it much easier to ring, which which is, I'm, I'm skipping a whole generation there. Yeah. You are. I tend to well, write I'm letters. Like a... Sorry. <laughs> Go on. I'm like a child and an old person together. Do you know what I mean? I just kind of skip the adult life. That's pretty much how my life's right. been. Okay. Yeah. And maturists. Um, I don't think we've got too many, like, stereotypes out, in that, out there about the maturists. I might be oh, wrong. Oh, I don't know. I would say stiff up a lip. Oh, okay. Yeah. Kind of keep the kind of keep calm and carry on don't necessarily yes. talk about your emotions sure yeah um, get gets away with saying what they think a lot more okay yeah so you were lucky we used to survive on one banana a week and that was the <laughs> whole family we didn't even have bananas didn't even have bananas <laughs> um but yeah that that's yeah, I guess that kind of Second World War mentality of keep coming and carry on, definitely. These are sometimes called the silent generation because as children they were told that they needed to be seen and not heard and discipline was very strict and um, that's kind of something that's being carried through into adulthood, that, that sort of very stoic um, attitude, I guess, in a way. <laughs> So I don't know how you feel about those uh, generations, whether um, the one that you're, I guess, the, the time frame that you were born in, does the, do those descriptors work for you? Uh, do they match up with who you are? I'm not sure. I think these can feel like huge generalizations, can't they? But yet yeah, we know there is um, a lot of research that's gone into some of this and there is some kind of overarching factors that seem to be reoccurring um, throughout these periods of time. So just quickly to brush over, we've got the Maturists, pre-1945, the Baby Boomers, 1945 to 1960, Gen X, 1961 to 1980, Gen Y, 1981 to 1995, Gen Z, born after 1995. And we're not going to talk about Generation Alpha, because they're all too young for us to know anything about them at the moment, but they are around, they do exist. And yeah, we'll get to see what they're like in the coming years. Generation Alpha sounds like the most powerful generation of all, right? Only second to Omega, maybe. Or maybe the That's two of them. <laughs> yeah, they've got a really good name. So, I guess, opening question to the group. Um, we are all fitting into the Gen Y bracket. I'm right at the end of the... I think I'm the youngest in the group. Um, but um, right at the end of the bracket... Um, and we're kind of spread out through that bracket. How how do you feel those descriptors are for you? Do you think they're accurate? Do Does that resonate with you? Do you know, it's really interesting looking at this little table we've got. And I, initially I said no, but then I looked through these formative experiences and it's the things under Generation Y that I actually understand. Okay. I'm looking at these other things and I'm like, what's this? What's that? Yeah. Um, in terms of what that looks like, whilst actually there's some familiarity under what it says in terms of thinking about um, the 9-11 terrorist attacks, mm. PlayStation, social media, reality TV, and that's just part of what my life experience has been. So you kind of forget that that isn't what it's been for other people. Sure. 
Um, it's interesting because I um, in Remembrance Sunday yesterday, and that's one time where I really think about different generations and seeing different generations that led the Remembrance Sunday service at church and recognising that for the people gathered there from the oldest people to the youngest people, what remembrance of war means to them is so diverse, so different, and actually cannot have failed to shape people mm. and how people how we pass on those experiences from generation to generation is something perhaps I've not considered in other ways. Does it resonate with you, like some of the things that are written there, Emily? Yeah, I suppose it does. I suppose it does. Um, <laughs> yeah, I suppose it does. I think it does in some ways. I think, I think what re resonates with me that is helpful with a table like this is seeing where we might have... Um, experience areas of conflict across mm. generations sure. and so I think it's helpful to have it you know whilst I don't personally look at that and go yes that's definitely me there yeah. are aspects particularly the communication and the digital yeah, stuff yeah. um for us as millennials you know we we very much were um well it, it is a huge part of our frame of reference isn't it not so mm. much as as the generation after us but definitely. But yeah, I think it's helpful. I think actually I was just thinking of a personal comparison there with um, aspiration for Generation Y being freedom and flexibility and the difference with baby boomers being job security. And my personal example of that is my parents. Um, when I was trying to decide what to do kind of from university or even earlier when I was trying to decide what subjects to do at university, I was always into creative arts, I was always into performance and I remember my parents sitting me down and having a conversation about security and stability being very important and therefore encouraging me to also take other subjects so that I had a safety yeah. net, a backup plan and you know, kind of teenage me being like, well, I can achieve anything. I'm going to go on and kind of do this. And actually, because of a huge amount of respect for my parents, I did heed their advice. And um, I am I'm glad for that. And it's certainly given me, um, it's certainly given me sort of family values. And I'd certainly made, I would say that I made personal sacrifices when it comes to those freedoms in order to have a bit more of that, um, security so that's an interesting personal example of how those different frame yeah. of references actually do come into play i don't know if has anyone got any other examples where they've seen that um kind of those cross-generation issues creating friction or i think you know church is is a great example for a lot of this because um Church is one of the, I'd, I'd probably say, one of the few places in society that we see intergenerational communication on a weekly basis or in such a regular place. Was yeah. like I can think probably in, in all of our churches represented in on this podcast, we have kind of people from representing probably each of these, maybe not the maturists or many of them, um, uh, although m maybe there are. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a, a, this representation across the board in our churches. And it's I, I know in a lot of the conversations I've been having around church, we're talking generationally all the time. We're talking about how do we um, try new things and, you know, like be experimental and be imaginative um, without throwing out tradition and without offending the people that have thrown their lives at a certain way of doing church.
How mm. do we um, push boundaries without um, making people feel like we're disrespecting what they've done? Or how do we um, have all these different attitudes towards church and towards jobs and towards technology, towards communication in general, and still learn to communicate as a church? Um, so... I think it's uh, you know as Christians we we really grapple with this all the time. Yeah. yeah I think and do that... you think it's possible to have a cross generational church that is thriving? Because we often see now, don't we, churches that are geared specifically towards millennials yep. and young families, or even now with like digital church emerging and gearing that more towards generation z and things like that yeah and you know do you think is it possible to have a cross-generational church that is flourishing i don't know it's really that's hard question. that's my question <laughs> i think if we look at how families work and how generations have worked over years after years a family in many contexts it might be grandparents parents children and somehow that manages to work, not necessarily easily, and I, I would never put families to work well, have to have some sort of understanding of what the different generations are like, what they're into, and that's how a family thrives, and that's how a family is healthy. And somehow, hopefully, within many families, that is the reality, but somehow we seem, in some cases, to struggle within the church, or perhaps we perceive that to be a struggle within the church. So I don't know the answer to your question, actually, in hindsight. <laughs> it's so not an easy one because every part of me wants to say, yes, of course we can. Um, but then it's, it is so difficult. But I, I, I think perhaps we're, we're never going to get to the point where we have a church that is perfect for everyone. <laughs> um, that I don't think exists. But what we can do is learn to see the gifts that each generation brings and learn to see actually that some of the differences some of the um the things that you know would bring problems and would make it difficult for us can actually teach us a lot as well and teach us about communication because yeah we, we have so much to offer each other um between the generations so perhaps actually the challenge is you know it's that mother Teresa thing of every challenge is an opportunity i think it was mother Teresa who said that or uh, i'm gonna say it was that sounds right doesn't it let's go with it i think you should re-edit that and it, it was definitely it was mother, def yeah, yeah absolutely okay. mother Teresa who said that. that yeah <laughs> um, i think it's quite um i'm not gonna say it's easy to do but i think it it should be possible and i think maybe the difficulty that we have in church is potentially based on the idea that everyone has to take part in every single thing and all do the same thing like like you said people are different and being part of a church doesn't mean being a part of every different aspect of the church all the time at the same time in the same way um so maybe it is that as a church group there are things that will be geared more to different generations although i think there's quite a bit of leeway in which which generation is which and you know yeah. where we see but i think for the purposes of of this and for talking about like the difference between different ages and different communication styles that sort of thing mm. it doesn't mean that everyone else has to be involved or everyone has to be involved with every single little thing 
It's interesting because I think of our uh, church has got an over 60s group, but there are many 60 year olds who would not been seen dead there. Okay. <laughs> because in terms of whether it was created for a context in terms of what happened when you were 60 in the past and what you aspire out alive now as a 60 year old, yeah. it's very different <laughs> with that. But equally within church programme, we don't necessarily seem to have an issue with having an over 60s group and then having a Sunday school and having different um, mm. age appropriate groups there. Yeah. And then it's working out how they can still be an integral part of the church and how we can come together as a, as a kind of a family to worship. We recently started doing our Sunday school fortnightly, but it takes more time out of the meeting. But I was keen that the children are still part of the worshipping community at the start. So they mm. recognise they're part of that family yeah. rather than the kids go off to do this because that's their church. And some, in some contexts that might work, but actually kind of being part of that wider family and seeing that their place within that, I think is really important. Mm. Absolutely. <clears throat> I think that is probably where it's most challenging, like on a standard stereotypical Sunday morning service to get everyone involved all like through the whole procedure of the service that's that's a big challenge isn't it yeah because i think that transcends age like that's just personal choices on like on everything mm. yeah um, absolutely and i think that's where i think that's where a table like this is helpful isn't it because you can see that the personal styles of each different generation would be different mm. um and and i guess it is helpful to look at it in that way you know i definitely think my own personal setting we do have we do have good representation of each generation. And in the past, um, other millennials have said to me, don't you want to go to a church that is more, you know, geared at young adults, that is more, um, you know, maybe your personal preference in style. And for me, it's always been about that sense of family and that sense of community and the sense of discipleship that I get from my local um, setting of church. And, and so that for me is why the, the cross-generational church is mm. something that I love. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting I... that... Oh, I, just, I just wanted to swing back around to what Claire said about the over-60s group. Um, because an over-60s group is a fairly staple part of most churches I've ever been to. Um, but I wonder if maybe that... Like you said, some people wouldn't be seen dead in... Um, some people that are the appropriate age now wouldn't be seen dead in an over 60s group but at this point the crossover between baby boomers and generation x is 60 so actually i wonder if there is an element of we'd naturally gear an over 60s group traditionally to the to a certain type of person and that isn't appropriate anymore i guess it for say gen x who are now moving into that age bracket um that that's their parents group yeah or that's and it's like that classic thing of if you want your teenager to stop being into something get into it yourself and <laughs> they'll think it's not cool anymore um but i wonder whether that's like a yeah a version of that we're seeing at the top end of the age bracket yeah 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 one thing think, oh, go on i think it's really interesting to see how the change in nuclear family affects some of the like aspirations so mm. if you if you look at like the maturists and the baby boomers 
typically there you've still got nuclear families and family oriented are both appearing as those formative experiences and then as you move towards um generation z you're seeing a higher rate of divorce and divorce and blended families becoming completely normalized mm. and now one of the things that generation z cherishes the most in recent um youth surveys that have been published is family unity mm. and stability in their home lives and so it's interesting that we've almost come i think full circle in this problem mm. of um, how nuclear families changing and evolving have led to a desire in children and young people to actually want a sense of stability. And I think that that is possible to have in blended families, yeah. but it's it's complicated and it's difficult to have. Yeah. Um, because it takes co-parenting and it takes patience and it takes grace and it takes the, you know, in- inclusiveness of um, step brothers and sisters and siblings and yeah. inherited children of other partners and all of these things. And so I think that that is a really interesting observation to make. And so when I compare um, that nuclear family of the maturists or of the baby boomers to Generation Z's desire for security and stability, mm. I can see that that, that has become why that has become a problem for them. Yeah, that's interesting. And I guess that idea of the nuclear family has kind of gone through a a reformation process in a while in a while there as well, because I guess for the maturist, the conservative classic view of the nuclear family was a man and a woman and a couple of children, whereas yeah. that is being challenged drastically and it's kind of been reformed. But actually the value at the centre of it, that family is important and those connections are important, has been held onto. But the, the mechanics and the the actual way that works has been reformed in a new way. So yeah, that's, that's a fascinating thing you pulled out there. I remember when I uh, applied to be a Salvation Army officer, church leader, and I remember as a young person being one of my biggest fears was how I was going to relate to a mainly likely elder congregation. Mm-hmm. And for me now, the reality is much of my life within ministry within my church is with an older generation perhaps that gen x baby boomers maturists but actually for whatever reason i've got myself in a position now where i feel i can in some way relate more in terms of faith wise with that generation than perhaps with my own generation i'm actually weird but in terms of that and i think recognizing that but i've been fortunate in terms of those generations recognize that although i am obviously like younger and I had less life experience there is still perhaps within those generations that kind of respected authority as a spiritual leader which perhaps don't have in other generations so how in terms of within a church family how do you think the different generations within the church what can they learn and teach each other learn from and teach each other yeah as you were talking I was thinking about how much older generations love to watch younger generations worship, love to watch them participate, and ultimately um, they do they do love to love like mm. younger people, don't they? And I think that whilst politically and socially there are lots of differing views, I think it is about that sense of community and that sense of family, and that when you, yeah, I think as an as a I just think that older generations do well 
at loving younger generations. And when I look at that table, you know, I work so much with Generation Z and they love their grandparents because their grandparents have offered them often that stability mm. that maybe their parents haven't. Um, I certainly come across that a lot at work of, of just, you know, I can picture students that I speak to who when they speak of their grandparents, their eyes light up and it's like their grandparent is, you know, they're not that authority figure that their parent is and they're just that little bit more removed, but they have that nurture and that care for them. And so I think that's kind of reminded me, you know, I was the same, Claire, in my first youth work job, I was funded by an organization that was churches together that was mostly made up of an older congregation. And the incredible thing about that was they had this sacrificial mindset of we have to financially give now in order to help the next generation flourish. And so I became really close with some of the older members of the congregation who could see my investment in young people and they were willing to part financially in order to grow that. And I saw great generosity, great generosity. And when people love the gospel and want to see Jesus transform lives, I think older generations do want to make sacrifices for, for younger generations. Certainly that has been my experience. Mm. Absolutely. And that's a real testament in terms of we look in the Bible and it talks about passing on that faith from generation to generation. And if we can see that as you've seen it exhibited, Emily, then actually the church is doing something right with that then. Mm. Yeah. And I haven't seen it everywhere and I would love to see it more in certain churches. You know, when we talk about some of the things of the Salvation Army that maybe millennials want to let go of and and they haven't been let go of yet and i think sometimes it needs to be made clear doesn't it of like let's look at where this church we need to look at the church now presently and the current demographic but we also need to look at what this demographic is going to look like in 20 years time and we need to sow and plant for um you know there's a proverb isn't there that's about kind of planting seeds that you never get to see grow mm. into trees yeah. and i just think that's the perfect picture for the church and that is um, what should be happening definitely I think when we talk about what each generation can do for the other in church as well I think what the church has gone through COVID um, is a huge example of this because we the the only way for us to stay in contact was through you know new forms of digital communication and zoom and recording and Facebook and actually the skills that Gen Z Gen Y and Gen X have um, kind of, we're talking broad scope here. So if you are a baby boomer and you think I'm great with Facebook and, and digital stuff, please don't be offended. We're talking the, the broad narratives here that may not be accurate for you, but those skills that um, stereotypically Gen Z, Y and X have that have enabled the church, the maturists and the baby boomers to stay in contact with, with um, church and stay in contact with their community is it, is huge, isn't it? And that, that difference in how we communicate actually has become a huge asset to have that actually we can teach each other new things we can learn from each other and we can help keep things accessible for each other i think one of the great things that i've seen during covid to, to sort of go alongside that is whilst it's been enabled generally by the younger people in a church congregation the people that i've seen actually taking part in so for example our church has done a facebook live stream pretty much every week and the people who are commenting on that are generally actually 
the slightly older side of the car. Um, so I think getting that little spark of inspiration has meant that all the generations are sort of linking up in a in a different way, and maybe that's um, hope for for future mm. projects and things. That actually, that little spark of inspiration can can make a big difference to to everyone. And the and the other thing is that you've sort of touched upon there as well about them working together is that statistics really show that this that this uh, generation said now are like experiencing loneliness that like teenagers and children experience loneliness in a great way because you know we have they have digital communication available to them all the time but because of that attention is stolen away from them in their teenage development and things and so then you, if you compare that to like baby boomers or maturists, they have that loneliness in common. And so when you see these intergenerational projects of like Age UK and things like that working together, it really is an amazing picture of what I think the kingdom is and could mm. be of, of, you know, yeah, those, those, in, those um, multi-generational interactions where actually healing is taking place because even though they have such different frame of references, they are united in that single issue of loneliness and everybody actually needing to know that they're not alone in the world. So yeah, that's just about all we have time for for this episode. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. I really hope that this conversation around generations has been helpful. the stereotypes that we've used and the way we've spoken about these generations may not feel accurate for you. I just want to repeat that again, that a lot of what's said about millennials does not feel accurate for me. Um, and that that is just the way this is. These are broad sweeping statements of large numbers of people that um, kind of give us an indication of what's going on, but they are not accurate to, to the individual. So um, yeah, please let us know actually if they don't represent you at all these generations we'd love to hear your experiences or maybe maybe this is spot on everything we've said about you is correct and i'd love to hear that as well (laughs) um but yeah please do get in contact either just by messaging us on twitter on facebook on instagram or by going to the listener group on facebook um ssom listener group and starting a conversation there because we would love to yeah join you in that conversation those spaces i will make sure that i post this um, graph that we've been using into the listening group as well so you can go and have a look and see what we've been talking about and read it for yourself and yeah we'd love to yeah chat that through with you there so until next time be well